Um, just a quick note, actually, before we get to the scripture reading. Um, we are doing the last few things for the serve team before uh, we get ready to leave for our trip to Virginia. So thanks for praying for us for there, Graham. Um, we are still looking for a few more uh, prayer partners for some of the youth and some of the leaders as well. Thanks to the many of you who have already reached out to me. I have gotten your emails. I know I haven't had a lot of time to respond to many of you yet, but we are still looking for a few more. So if you're interested um, in writing some notes uh, or maybe providing a bit of candy and goodies or something like that, um, we'll need uh, the week's worth of, of notes and whatever else you want to provide uh, before we go, and then the serve participants and leaders will open them uh, day by day as the week goes on. So if you're interested in, in participating in that, um, find me after the service or send me uh, an email or a phone call or something. So thank you for that. Our scripture reading for this morning, we get to Jonah chapter 3. And we'll be reading the whole chapter. In my Bible, this is, uh, it has two titles here. As this is kind of the second half uh, of the book of Jonah. Part two here is Jonah fulfills his mission. And the other title I have here is that Jonah goes to Nineveh. Jonah chapter three, starting at verse one. The word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim to it the message I give you. Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord and went to Nineveh. Now Nineveh was a very large city. It took three days to go through it. Jonah began by going a day's journey into the city, proclaiming 40 more days and Nineveh will be overthrown. The Ninevites believed God. A fast was proclaimed, and all of them, from the greatest to the least, put on sackcloth. When Jonah's warning reached the king of Nineveh, he rose from his throne, took off his royal robes, covered himself in sackcloth, and sat down in the dust. This is the proclamation he issued in Nineveh. By the decree of the king and his nobles, do not let people or animals, herds or flocks, taste anything. Do not let them eat or drink, but let people and animals be covered with sackcloth. Let everyone call urgently on God. Let them give up their evil ways and their violence. Who knows? God may yet relent and with compassion turn from his fierce anger so that we will not perish. When God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, he relented and did not bring on them the destruction he had threatened. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. This is week three of the series on the book of Jonah. The series is titled The Upside Down Mirror. So just a quick review again to catch anyone up to speed who isn't very familiar with what's going on. 
Sometimes people talk about reading the Bible like looking in the mirror. You see yourself in the characters in the story. And the story of Jonah is an upside down story because nothing happens the way that it's supposed to happen. It's got real people and everything happens in real places, but the events don't seem very realistic. The first week we learned about how Jonah is this horrible prophet who would rather die than go preach to Nineveh. And he's kind of shown up by the pagan sailors on the boat who pray to God and vow to be faithful to him. And then last week we read about Jonah's prayer from in the belly of the great fish and how he was thankful that God saved him from death, but he wasn't really all that repentant. On the surface, Jonah's prayer seemed pretty good. But Jonah had root issues. So if reading the Bible is like looking in a mirror, then reading Jonah is like looking into an upside-down mirror. Something just feels wrong. But remember, you can't hold a mirror upside-down no matter what way you hold it it's going to show you exactly as you are. That's what mirrors do. The story of Jonah isn't about Jonah, it's about you. Sometimes we wanna point and laugh at Jonah, but soon we start to realize that we aren't that different from him, really. And the author is messing with us in the way that he writes the story by exaggerating things and kind of blurring the lines between who we expect to be good and bad. And if Jonah isn't the hero, then who is? Chapter three is about second chances. Chapter three is probably the strangest chapter yet, to be honest. But that kind of makes sense, I think. We're reaching the climax of the story here. Jonah is finally in Nineveh, and he's finally going to preach to the people and deliver his message. And as I go on this morning, we're gonna see a lot of comparisons from Jonah chapter one to this week, Jonah chapter three. They mirror each other a little bit. For starters, the first two verses are almost identical in Jonah 1 and Jonah 3. I've got Jonah 3 verse 1 up on the slide here. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah, and here's where it differs, a second time. Go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim to it the message I give you. It's almost identical. This is Jonah's second chance from God. It's like someone hit the rewind button. We just saw everything that happened in the last two chapters, and that didn't go so well, so we're going to start over and try again now. We've got to reset. So this is just part one of second chances in this chapter. God's giving Jonah a second chance to start over. He was thankful that God saved him from death in chapter two, and now Jonah has a chance to prove his thankfulness for the things that God had done for him by obeying 
and doing what God had asked him to do in the first place. And then a few minutes, then we'll talk more about second chances, that God is going to give Nineveh a second chance. And then next week, we'll take a deep dive into Jonah's reaction to God giving Nineveh a second chance. Kind of a spoiler, things will get ugly. (laughs) But for now, Jonah 3 verse 3 says, Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord and went to Nineveh. Finally, (laughs) Jonah is starting to get it together. And unfortunately, this is another time that I think the NIV gives a poor translation. In Hebrew, the first two words of, or the first two verbs of God's command to Jonah um, are rise and go to Nineveh. The NIV only has go to the great city of Nineveh. That's not a super important distinction. But the part that's important is that the words are mirrored in verse three. The Hebrew doesn't say Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord. It says Jonah rose and went. So Jonah's obeying what God asked him to do. In fact, he's kind of doing it just how God asked him to do it. In verse two, God says, rise and go to Nineveh. In verse three says, Jonah rose and went. But Jonah's heart isn't in the obedience yet. This is surface level obedience. Remember, Jonah's got root issues. So don't let this word obeyed here trick you into thinking that Jonah's had a change of heart. It kind of makes me think of when I was a kid and my dad would ask me to sweep out the garage. And I would drag my feet the whole way there, and then eventually I would get the broom and I would sweep out the garage as fast as I could. I don't care how good of a job I did, I swept the garage just like you asked me to. So Jonah is going to Nineveh just like God asked him to. Rise and go, Jonah rose and went to Nineveh, that great city. And last week, we talked about the Hebrew word gadol, which means great, and how it's used 15 times in this book. Nineveh is a gadol city. Nineveh is a great city. It's large. It's important. It's the capital city of the Assyrian Empire. It's an ancient world superpower known as one of the most brutal in all of history. They're enemies of the Israelites, and they did brutal and horrible things to them. So Jonah hated the Ninevites because they they were evil people to him. He did not want God to show mercy to them, but because God asked him to over and over, Jonah is now making his way to Nineveh. And verse 3 says that Nineveh was very large, so large, so gadol, that it took three days to go through it. 
This is another one of those moments where the story is blown hilariously out of proportion. Like, and this one is so out of proportion, it should actually make us laugh. It's that bad. Let's say you can walk 30 kilometers in one day. I did a bit of research online. I don't think that's unreasonable. A few sources actually said that a very fit person could walk twice that in one day. But if a day's journey is 30 kilometers, that makes Nineveh 90 kilometers long? To give you some examples of how far 90 kilometers is from Grimsby, here's a few cities 90 kilometers from here. That's Port Dover, Kitchener, Woodstock, or Oshawa, if you could go straight across Lake Ontario. The city of Toronto is 641 square kilometers. If Nineveh's a square and it's 90 kilometers by 90 kilometers, that's 8,100 kilometers, square kilometers. 12 times the size of Toronto. So this measurement is just hilariously exaggerated. It's upside down. But no doubt, I think, the measurement of three days' journey is a bit poetic, maybe, and used to mirror Jonah's experience in the fish for three days and three nights. But Jonah only goes one day's journey into Nineveh. He just endured, pretty thankfully, three days in the belly of a fish in this figurative land of the dead, but he can only muster the strength to spend one day in Nineveh, this city that he hates so much, before he delivers his message. And in order to have something to compare Jonah's very short message to, I want to tell you the story of Marathon. So in 490 BC, the Persians are trying to take over the Greek Empire. There's a very important battle happening at the city called Marathon. It's a Greek city. And unexpectedly, the Greeks are able to defend the Persians off. So the Greeks won the battle. And as the legend goes, battle's winding down, and there's a Greek messenger named Philippides. And he sees a Persian boat headed towards the Greek capital city, Athens. And he thinks they're going to go to Athens and deliver a false message that the Persians won and the Greeks lost. They're going to try to trick the people of Athens. So Philippides decides he's going to run all the way from Marathon to Athens and declare the truth. Does anyone have a guess how far it is from Marathon to Athens? Uh, 42 kilometers, 26 miles, yeah. That's, that's, this story is where the marathon, the race, gets its name and its strange distance from, from this run that Philippides did. So according to the legend, when Philippides arrives in Athens from Marathon, he says one word in Greek, victory. 
and then falls to the ground dead from exhaustion. A one-word speech. But everybody knew what he meant. They were anticipating this. They would have been watching for a messenger coming from the city of Marathon. Everyone would have been eagerly anticipating, what's he going to say? Did we win or did we lose the battle? And Philippides is only able to get out one word before falling to his death. If he had more life in him, he probably would have given some more information about the battle. But even through just one word, people of Athens knew everything that they would need to know, at least for now. Let's have a look at Jonah's misunderstood message to the people of Nineveh. There's a lot that's upside down here. In verse four, we get to see Jonah's message. 40 more days and Nineveh will be overthrown. Jonah gives an eight-word sermon. In Hebrew, it's actually just five. And the word that Jonah uses for overthrown here, in Hebrew, this is a fun one, hafach, (laughs) which means overthrown or flipped over or turned upside down. In my opinion, this one is the most important word in the whole book, and it's an inspiration for the series title, The Upside Down Mirror. So everyone say, hafach. Make sure you get that at the end there. (laughs) So like Philippides, Jonah's message is very short. But unlike Philippides, no one is anticipating that Jonah is coming. The people of Nineveh have no idea that the Lord's prophet is coming to preach to them. And also unlike Philippides, Jonah didn't die on the spot, so he could have said a lot more, but he chose not to. In fact, Jonah was really supposed to say a lot more, but he didn't. So let's look at a few things that are missing from Jonah's message. For starters, the Lord God is not mentioned at all. That seems odd to be left out in a message from God. You know, the creator of the universe who sent Jonah on this message, on this journey in the first place against his will. And secondly, Jonah doesn't call the Ninevites to repentance, that they can receive forgiveness and mercy from God. There's no call to repentance. It's just fire and brimstone for Nineveh. That's what Jonah wants. Jonah wants the Ninevites to be punished for the way that they've treated the Israelites and so many others. He wants revenge, not mercy. The Ninevites don't deserve a chance to receive mercy. Think of all the horrible things that they've done. 
Jonah could probably name a few people who have been brutally tortured or killed by the Assyrians. Jonah wants God to be vengeful. That's Jonah's version of God. But that's not who God really is. We want a merciful God for ourselves, but a just God for other people. We want a vengeful God for other people. So Jonah didn't tell the Ninevites about God. And he didn't tell them about how they can receive his mercy. But then in verse five, a miracle happens. Somehow, it says, the Ninevites believed God. And I call this a misunderstood message because it's clear that Jonah hoped the Ninevites would not believe God and that they would not cry out for mercy. From Jonah's perspective, they misunderstood his message because he didn't ask them to repent. Jonah is telling them, you are all going to die in 40 days because God is going to punish you for the evil and wicked and brutal things you've done. The end. That's the message that Jonah wants to deliver. But notice the wording in verse five. It says the Ninevites believed God. It doesn't say the Ninevites believed Jonah. We can see it's clearly God at work here, not Jonah. This is another one of those moments where we probably want to point a finger at Jonah and go, man, what a horrible prophet. It's a good thing that, that Christians today are not like that, right? It's a good thing that I'm never like that. The story isn't about Jonah. It's about you. Is there somewhere in your life that you refuse to share God's mercy? Here's one more way that Jonah's message is upside down. Normally, when a prophet is called by God to deliver a message, he's supposed to go to the king first. If you tell a message to the king, then the king can issue a decree, and there's kind of this trickle-down effect from top to bottom, from the king to the average person on the street. But Jonah's message goes in reverse order. Verse five says, the Ninevites believed God, and it says that all the Ninevites are, from greatest to least, they're fasting, they're wearing sackcloth, they're classic signs of repentance, they're not eating, they're wearing these clothes made from uncomfortable material, kind of like the burlap on these mirrors here. 
When I think of sackcloth in my head, I always uh, picture a potato sack, but there's no real connection there. It's just similar material. So everyone is repenting. Everyone apparently except one person. The king of Nineveh. Somehow, the king is apparently the last person to hear about the whole thing. Verse 5 tells us that everyone is fasting and wearing sackcloth. And then if you look at verse 6, it says, when the king's message reached, or when Jonah's message reached the king. But when he does hear about it, he also puts on sackcloth. And he also, and he, he issues a decree that everyone should fast and everyone should call urgently on God and give up their evil and violent ways. All three of these are also signs of genuine repentance, showing remorse, confessing, turning from sin to obedience. But the king's decree doesn't just require that the people are fasting and putting on sackcloth, but that even the animals are supposed to put on sackcloth and fast and cry out to God for mercy. Again, we see just such a ridiculous and over-the-top idea. It's just totally unnecessary that this is included in there. And not only that, but the decree itself is kind of unnecessary because all of the people are already fasting and wearing sackcloth anyways. So it's clear that the people of Nineveh, from bottom to top, rather than top to bottom, recognize the seriousness of the situation that they're in. In verse 9, we go to the next slide, the king says, who knows? God may yet relent and with compassion turn from his fierce anger so that we will not perish. And perhaps that sounds strangely familiar. Let's go back to Jonah chapter one again. Jonah one verse six, Jonah's sleeping in the boat and it's not the king of Nineveh, but it's the captain of the boat who comes down to Jonah. The captain went to him and said, how can you sleep? Get up, call on your God. Maybe he will take notice of us so that we will not perish. Two weeks ago, we talked about how Jonah didn't care that the sailors were in danger, even though it was his fault. Jonah never cried out to God on their behalf that they should be saved, and in the end it was the sailors who prayed to God for mercy, while Jonah did nothing. And here in chapter three, we see a mirrored image of the same situation. If nobody does anything, the Ninevites are going to be destroyed in 40 days. But it's not the prophet of God who calls out for mercy. It's not Jonah. It's the Ninevites 
from bottom to top. This is all sorts of upside down. Nineveh is supposed to be the enemies of Israel and of God, right? Like, isn't the king of Nineveh supposed to be like Pharaoh in Egypt and harden his heart against God? Isn't God supposed to send fire and brimstone from heaven like he did to Sodom and Gomorrah? Isn't God, maybe at least in the Old Testament, about death and judgment on his enemies? Remember Hafach, overthrown. There's a real play on words here that I'm excited about. Jonah's message was that in 40 days, Nineveh would be Hafach. And Jonah meant that the city would be so destroyed that it's like God would have picked it up and flipped it over. But Hafach has another meaning. To be figuratively flipped upside down, as in to change drastically. So in a way, Jonah's message for Nineveh came true. The city was overthrown. Overthrown by mercy. Verse 10 tells us that when God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, he relented. And once again, we see how God's mercy is not limited by Jonah. God's mercy is not limited by anyone or anything. And sometimes we don't like mercy. Sometimes it's hard for us to show mercy or to offer true forgiveness. We might think that people don't deserve it. They don't deserve our forgiveness. They're not sorry enough. And they hurt me too badly. We might think they'll never change. Or maybe we're afraid that showing mercy might be a sign of weakness. We don't want to be walked all over. So then we withhold mercy. But the thing about mercy is that it's always undeserved. If anyone deserved it, then it wouldn't really be mercy. So whether you've been a well-behaved Christian your whole life who's always gone to church and never gotten in a lot of trouble, or whether you're an outcast who's never really fit the mold, None of us deserve mercy. God's mercy has the power to turn everything upside down. His mercy has more power than just forgiving your sins so that someday we get to go to heaven. Oh, that is probably the best part. His 
mercy has the power to change your life today, not someday in the future. If you put your faith in Jesus today, your life will never be the same. Life will still be full of challenges, but God will never leave your side. How has God overthrown you by his mercy? Is God's mercy changing the way you live today? Let's pray. God, we thank you for your grace and your mercy, which never run out. You always have more and more mercy to give, and you love giving it. We pray that you would help us to allow that mercy to change the way we live. Help us to extend it freely to everyone around us, just as we have received endless amounts of mercy from you. We thank you for the ways that you're at work in our lives in so many more ways than we can ever know or understand. In Jesus' name we pray and we know that you hear us. Amen.